Well, good morning, and welcome to the Christmas Eve services here at the Heights. And I want to start Christmas Eve the best way possible with an announcement. Isn't that why you came here this morning? But you know what? With all the excitement that is ahead of us the next 24 hours, I'm already so excited about an opportunity for you, for our church family, as we enter the new year, uh, starting on January 3rd. And I, I say January 3rd here for this campus. It's going to be January 10th out at our Midlothian campus. But uh, we're going to begin a 21-day time of prayer and fasting. Kind of funny mentioning fasting as we head into the next 24 hours, right? But uh, you know what, folks? I can't think of a, of a greater opportunity to kind of find God's heart and mind, discover His will, kind of start placing my life in the center of that will as, as an individual, as a family, as a church family, as we move into a new year. And so uh, we're going to kick that off in here, January 3rd at 6 o'clock. It's a 30-minute service and, and start that 21 days. And uh, if you're interested in that, we have a, a kind of a one-page kind of summary there of, of kind of how you do that fast, how you prepare for it, things to, to pray. It'll really give you all the information that you need, and you can get that at the information desk out there on your way out, along with a coloring sheet. I don't think all the kids maybe heard that, but if you want to pick up a coloring sheet from today's story, go to the information desk. So prayer and fasting and coloring. Uh, it's, it's all right there together at our information desk. You know, I say 21 days. I want to encourage you to be involved in that in whatever way you can. It might be one day. It might be uh, seven days, 14 days. You might start a little early. You might start a little bit later. But, uh, man, let's kick off this new year just going before the Lord and depending upon Him for our, our homes, our, our church, and, and, of course, as us as individuals. So I hope you'll get that and check it out and see what's going to be going on there. So now that I've got that out of the way, I can finally say Merry Restoration. Well, that rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? But what would you believe that, that that greeting that maybe you wouldn't expect on this day actually is very similar to saying Merry Christmas because Christmas is our first step to being restored to everything that has been lost. During this month leading up to today, I, I've been doing a short series connecting creation with Christmas. Because we're going to see Jesus as, as a fulfillment, as a resolution, as a fix to things that go all the way back to the beginning of time. Things that we find right there in the first pages of the Bible. As a matter of fact, in the very first lines of the Bible, we see God say, let there be light. And that light shines on the physical realm and it dispels, it breaks up darkness and chaos. And do you know what Christmas is about? It's God again saying, let there be light. And yet this time the light's not on the physical realm, it's on the spiritual realm. And the darkness and chaos that's broken is that which is inside our hearts. Jesus is the light of the world. We've also seen that, that God is a God of rest. Not because He's tired, not because He gets worn out, because rest is an ability. The ability to stop and be able to enjoy what's been accomplished and what's been done. You know where our greatest rest is? It's in Jesus Christ. Our righteousness in Him I can rest. I don't have to fight the fight anymore. The fight to be good enough. The fight to hope you don't find out what I'm really like. But I rest in His righteousness. 
And today we're going to see Christ as the fulfillment to a promise that God made that we can be restored to everything that has been lost. What an announcement that was to Adam and Eve because nobody lost more than Adam and Eve did. And it's not because of how wealthy they were or the stuff they had. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect world. They had no need. They lived in a perfect relationship with God, with each other, with nature. All they enjoyed was life and knowing its creator. But they lost that because they, they fell into a lie. They, they fell into a temptation that, honestly, folks, it wasn't just the two of them. Every single one of us struggles with this. That idea, that belief that, that I can have more, that I can be more, that I can do more apart from God. That, that there's something greater to be found out there away from Him. And as they went running after that, they lost God and they lost the perfect world that they lived in. And now everything, every relationship, every piece of nature, our relationship with God, all touched by sin. But do you know, as, as we, I say we, not just Adam and Eve, as we rebelled, God loved God loved. And in the midst of that rebellion, God made a promise. God gave a gift. He, he said it this way. He was, he was talking to Satan, who was the one that kind of lured Adam and Eve into that idea. Hey, God, guys, God's holding you back. Yeah, you know, God, God's keeping you from real life and real enjoyment. We, we can break away from this. And, and, and as, as Satan lured them toward that... God, God punished Satan for that. And he said this in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your seed, between her seed and you. He will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. Now I know that the meaning of that does not just fly off the page. Especially on Christmas Eve when we're supposed to be talking about mangers and angels and shepherds, Right? But this is addressing a, a relationship between man and sin, between man and Satan. And, and, and God is, is saying there, hey, listen, Satan, you, you will bruise them on the heel. You will cripple their life on this earth. We all live a crippled life because of sin. But then God says, through Eve will come one that will crush the head of Satan, that will deal a fatal blow to, to our relationship with sin. Can you imagine the hope that must have filled with Eve? I, I mean, you know, she's, I, I'm assuming, I don't know, I've never talked to her, but she's got to be feeling a sense of guilt about her role in, in everything that was lost. And, and then God says, through you will come one that, that will restore all this. And then Cain was born. Can you imagine how she, I mean, how does every mom, how does every mom and dad look at the face of that new baby? Can you imagine how she looked at Cain? I mean, the passage didn't imply, oh, by the way, this will be a long time from now. I think when Cain was born, she looked at Cain and said, is this it? Is this is the one? Is this where the restoration begins? And then Abel's born. Two options. Two possible answers on the table now. And then horror strikes. And Cain murders his own brother. This is, this is going from bad to, to worse. And both answers, both possibilities now gone. 
But, but the scripture says that, that Adam and Eve had another son. His name was Seth. As a matter of fact, they go on after Seth and it, it says they have a lot of sons and daughters. It says it like this in Genesis 5.3. It says when Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him. In his very image, he named his son Seth. After the birth of Seth, Adam lived another 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Adam lived 930 years and then kind of three important words, then he died. And obviously when we hear the phrase, then he died, we kind of think, okay, that's over and now we move on. Well, as you move on through Genesis chapter 5, you, the sentence I just read, you hear that like eight or nine more times. D- different name. Next it's going to be, and Seth was 105 years old, and he had this son and lived this long, had other sons and daughters, and then he died. And that goes on over and over and over. And, and so by the time you get to the end of chapter 5, you've long forgot about Adam and Eve. But did you know Adam and Eve are actually still alive? When you get all the way down to the end of chapter 5, it says Lamech was born. A- Adam lived 800 years after the birth of Seth. And Lamech was born 744 years after Seth. Now, I know you're thinking, wow, that's really interesting. I've always wondered that about Lamech, especially on Christmas Eve. You know who Lamech is? He's the father of Noah. Adam and Eve lived all the way up to the time of Noah. My point in saying all that is, can you imagine how many kids Eve has seen born I mean, she looks out there now at a sea of humanity. It's all her offspring. They're all from her seed. She looks out there. And, and, and I would imagine at, at first she ran to each new birth and wondered, is, is this the one? But obviously it reached a point where she couldn't get to each birth. As a matter of fact, it reached a point where she didn't even know that a birth had happened Today, You know, we tend to think of the world as very small back then. Because we can kind of go back and we can see what the population was in, in 100 A.D., 100 B.C., 1000 B.C. But prior to the flood, with the number of children they were having and how long they were living, did you know that the population prior to the flood was probably much more similar to the world today th- th- than it was even at the time Jesus arrived? There's a lot of people out there can you imagine how eve would have looked at that sea of humanity and thought god you promised out there somewhere where where, where's the answer and when does hope die when when do you when do you stop looking you know i asked that that question rhetorically I, i i don't believe adam and eve ever stopped looking I don't believe they ever stop hoping. Remember, Adam and Eve are two very unique individuals from anybody else ever born on this planet. Adam and Eve are not a people of faith. They didn't need faith. They saw God. The afterlife, a perfect world, a heaven. That wasn't faith for them. They they lived in it. And I can't just help but imagine they tried to get to everybody they could. And say, man, this is, this is real and there's a God and he created all this. And, and, and we've been promised that we're going to be restored to that from, from one of you. From one of the sea of humanity. But, but then they died, right? 
kind of wonder, well, did, did the story die with them? Did the hope die with them? Well, the good news is Genesis 3.15 is not the only place God made a promise. It's not the only place that God said, an answer is coming, an answer is coming. As a matter of fact, when you start thinking about the seed of Eve, well, that's kind of everybody, isn't it? And so God narrowed it down some more. There's another, the, the scripture calls it prophecy, where God tells us the future so we don't miss it. So we know what to look for. And he says, well, it's not just going to be the seed of Eden. It's also going to come out of the line of Abraham. Then he narrows it down a little more and says, it's going to come out of the line of David. Then out of the whole planet, he picks a city. A city, it's not even a city. It's a wide spot in the road. He picks this little village and says, the answer is coming out of Bethlehem. And, and folks, this isn't the stuff of legend. What I'm saying here is not the the story that we tell as a people of faith. No, this stuff is historically documented. The date those prophecies were given and how Jesus historically fulfilled over 60 of those prophecies. Down to minute details, not a kind of, sort of, filled those prophecies. So that kept hope alive, wouldn't it, for the people of faith? I would imagine sometimes as the people of what you and I would refer to as of the Old Testament, at times they did hold on to the stories. At times they did believe and did hope. And you know what? At other times, really no different than today. At other times, it just didn't seem so real. It all just came, seemed kind of far off and hope and answers one day, but I know what I'm living in right here and right now. And then Christmas. And then Christmas finally happened. Christmas, what we refer to as Jesus coming into the world. You know, that story is told in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, both cases. It's the first two chapters. And in both of those stories, there's things that we're drawn to, that our children are drawn to, our, our manger scenes. You know, it's the angels and shepherds and donkeys and, and, and the little babe. But you know, there's a part of the story that we never read on Christmas Eve. There's a part of the story that we skip right past. It's the genealogy. Come on, we don't read that, do we? No, I, I don't understand half the names in there. When I get done reading it, I don't feel like I have any more than when I started. I mean, it's a genealogy. Who needs all that stuff? But you know, a genealogy can actually be kind of important. In Luke's telling of the genealogy, and it, he actually tells it after the Christmas story, one chapter later in Luke chapter 3. And it starts off like this in, in Luke 3, verse 23. It says, Jesus, okay, we're starting on this end of the genealogy. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Heli. Heli was the son of Matat. And I'm going to stop reading right here because there's 77 total lines so let me for sake of time and so that we don't get lost in names we don't care about in names that we don't understand let me skip to the last four lines Kenan was the son of Enosh Enosh was the son of Seth Seth was the son of Adam and Adam was the son of God do you, do you know what Luke just did for us there in the Christmas story he said this story goes all the way back to the very beginning. And it fulfills a promise that God made. Eve, from your seed will come one who will crush the head of Satan. 
will come one that will crush the impact of sin on mankind. From you, Eve, will come one that will restore us to God. Gosh, in that moment, that genealogy kind of becomes important. There's going to be a lot of passages that show us all the various promises and and prophecies that were fulfilled. But folks, every one of these things being fulfilled is about one thing. How much God loves you and a gift that he has for you. That gift is maybe best expressed in John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world, so loved you. That he gave his only son, not just a seed of Eve, but also God's son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to believe. Hard to believe in things I can't see. It's it's easier to think, no, I can be more, do more, and have more in what I can touch, and what I can feel, and what I think at this very moment. But whoever will believe, believe what? That Jesus is the Son of God. That He was born of the Virgin Mary. That He did die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. That He was resurrected. Whoever would believe would not perish. Would not perish in that lie that I can be more apart from my Creator and my Savior. Would not perish in that lie, but would be restored to eternal life. Eternal life in the perfect world that God had in mind for you and me. Restored to a perfect, eternal relationship with God. Satan told us a lie. As you go throughout this week, and gosh, as you go throughout the next two days. I mean, these are kind of the happiest days of the year. At least that's what we're attempting to achieve. And yet, there's not a single shred of evidence in the world, in any one life that there is more to be found apart from God. And when we come to that realization, or maybe, maybe I should say if we come to that realization, and we get tired of trying to find what we can do on our own, and by our own rules, and by our own ideas, when we get tired and worn out of that, there's rest, God says. There's a gift. There's a way back. And that way back is through Jesus Christ. What are you doing with your Christmas gift? For what is Christmas without the gift? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pause before you on this Christmas Eve to say thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the opportunity for forgiveness. Thank you, God, that no matter who I am, what I've done, where I've been, through the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, there is always a way back. Lord, I would pray for those of us in this room today, out at Midlothian, that have believed that, God, you would kind of guide us as we maybe think on our relationship with you today, tomorrow, and this week ahead. Kind of guide us, Lord. What's the next step we need to take in our life right now so that we're most enjoying, most living the gift we've been given in Jesus? And Lord, for any here today who do not know that gift, have not yet received it, God, I pray through this day you'll speak to their heart. Let them know of your love and your grace. 
the forgiveness you want them to know and enjoy. God, call them to yourself and may they believe and find rest in you. For Jesus really is the light of the world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.